Welcome to The Bottom Line Show. This is a show where we get to the bottom of business and finance by reading between the lines. I'm going to be your host, Kieran Frantic, and I'm with my esteemed colleague, Mr. Money Station, Kamai. It's about time I'll go in front of the camera. Right? It's about, bro, we've been <laughs> waiting, you know. I want to start off by saying this is not like any other podcast or show you have been watching. I say that confidently because this is not about gossip. This is not about bull SHIT. This is not about hearsay. This is about real nitty-gritty facts, fiction. This is journalism. So when you're watching this, now you're watching good content. This is not takeaway fast food. You know what I'm talking about. Well, that's how it's going to be. And no disrespect to the other guys. I see what you lot are doing, but this is just certain that's a bit more official. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> Straight up. All right, then. So this show today, we're going to talk about a few subjects. You know what it is? I've been thinking, like, as we've been approaching this, we've been talking about the bottom line and how we can do it. There's nothing that makes more sense than talking about The Apprentice first. Yes, yes. It's the biggest thing that happens from the UK and America in yeah. terms of like entrepreneurialism. Yeah. It's entertainment, it's finance, it's everything called in one. Yeah. For you guys at home that don't know, so I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for seven to eight years. I've got a two few businesses and a, a branding business. Yeah. Kamai, tell me a bit about yourself. I'm an accountant myself. I actually run Money Station as well. Um, <clears throat> I've been an accountant for six years now. See? Yeah. So, so we know what we're talking about. When it actually comes to business and finance and everything else. So That's it. We know what we're talking about. That's we it. We have the professionalism behind us. That's it. I'm incredible people in front of the camera. So. All right so. then. All right then. So, have you watched this season of Apprentice? Have you watched it? No, I actually haven't watched this season, you know. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you. Bro. Well, I've watched it. I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been watching every episode every week. I'm, a, I'm just one of them dudes. Like, I'm not really into reality TV. But when I do watch TV, that's like of that nature. It's The Apprentice. That's as far as I get into it. I don't do like Love Island. Yeah. I don't do Married at First Sight. No disrespect. Yeah. But The Apprentice, that's my show. So I've been watching this one hard. And what it is about this one that struck me is that um, they brought back the winner from the first ever Apprentice. We got Tim Campbell. Tim Campbell as a guest, yeah. as a guest on this week, this year's show. Not as a guest, as like a panelist, yep. one of the judges. He's yep. stepping in, and it made me start thinking like. When these people win The Apprentice, what happens? Yeah. Where do they go? How much happens with the money? Is Alan Sugar still involved? What is the nitty gritty? What's the quirks of The Apprentice? So I spoke to you about it, come on, let's get into it. Yeah. So if you want to start off by showing me or telling me some of the things that you found out, just about like the background, even of Lord Sugar, because I don't even know really what it's been doing in the past decade. Do you know what? I think we need to go back to the history of The Apprentice. Go for it. When it actually started. Go for it. So it started in... February of 2005 on the 16th. 2005. Yeah, so I think the original reality documentary was modeled after Donald Trump. Donald okay. Trump actually done it in the USA. So America was first? So America was first. Donald Trump was actually the face of The Apprentice at the time. Everybody knows Donald Trump for being a property mogul. Yeah. But he was obviously the face of that. So, so at the time, Donald Trump must have had like the casino, the <laughs> hotel, all these types of oh, things. Oh, he had the whole lot. So it made sense for him to look for an apprentice because he's got enough business yeah. for them to work into. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get you. And he was doing his thing at the time. And then obviously they created it in the UK and then they've brought it over. Obviously we know how the series go. Yeah. 12 entrepreneurs actually go on. Mm -hmm, 12 right. entrepreneurs actually go on to it. Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> they're all doing it. Contestants obviously win a That's place it. to work with Alan Sugar. Now, what people don't know is that there's always a six-figure salary at the end of it. Yeah. So it's £250,000, I believe it is. Yeah. And um, you get the opportunity to work with Lord Alan Sugar as a partner. Yeah. So he takes 50%. But let me come in there then. So, if I'm right, at the start, Apprentice was you got a job in it. You got a, it's called The Apprentice. Yeah, yeah. It used to give you a job of like a 100k salary. And somewhere along the line, it's kind of switched up and it's an investment into a business now. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. But now it's a £250,000 injection into a business. Yes. So, you're not going to be an employee of Adam Sugar if you're a business partner with him. No, you're going to be a business partner with Adam Sugar and he's going to plunge millions into your business as well as whilst well. you're actually gaining the experience with him. So it's more than just the £250,000? Exactly, you become a partner with Adam Sugar. But you said the cost of that involvement is 50% equity. Yeah, um, so yeah, 50% equity actually to be with Adam Sugar. I think I saw something the other day on a podcast. Yeah. I forgot the woman's name. But she was talking about how she gave 50% of her company over to Lord Adam Sugar. And it wasn't subject to the fact that she couldn't run the business herself. Yeah. It was just she wanted the experience with somebody else. I get that. Do me a favor, does come a little bit closer to your microphone because I'm not sure it's picking you up. <laughs> Sorry, guys, can you hear me? It's all good, it's all good. So, that being said then, I wanted to look into some of the previous winners from the old model where it was a salary and the new model where they get any business investment. 
I just want to see, like, is this thing actually successful? Is it just a TV show where people are just in it for entertainment, or is there actual, like, a business side to it? I've noticed this season, I know you haven't watched it, it seems like there's a few people in there that's just there for a bit of banter. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not credible, I don't know everyone's history, but there's some people that's definitely there for TV purposes. Yeah. So I want to go into some of the previous winners and see what we've got historically to see if it's always been like this. Cool. Um, First person I've looked at was uh, a lady called Yasmina. She won in 2009. Do you remember this one? <laughs> so she won in 2009. She got the £100,000 job. Uh, that's, 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 that's what she won. That was her prize, yeah? Now, before she came on The Apprentice, she was a waitress, standard waitress. Um, I think it was early, she was in her early 30s. So she was at, you know, she's at a good time in her yeah, life. Yeah. But she was a waitress. She came on. She won a 100000 k job and she got a job in Amstrad Medical. So the yes. medical department of Amstrad, of what Lord Sugar does. Um, this is a side note. I didn't know Lord Sugar was in medical. Yeah, and this is what people don't know. Amstrad is actually a holding company. Mm -hmm. So people think it's just a property company based around that. It's a holding company. So all of these ventures yeah. are in Amstrad. Okay, bam. Okay, makes sense. So she headed up the medical side of it. And the interesting thing about Yasmina is that I think she felt pregnant yeah. when she got the job at, with Lord Sugar. Um, so she had to take maternity leave. When she came back from maternity leave, the job that she applied for, rather than just applying for any job, because you've got like apprentice on your CV now, and you don't work at Woolworths or KFC when you've got apprentice on your CV, do you? So she applied for a job with James Khan, James Khan from Dragon's Day. Yes, yeah. She only went and got the job. Got the job straight away. This is my thing, working, being an apprentice is twofold. Not only do you get the investment, but the exposure and what's on your CV means you're basically walking into most jobs And to add on to that, I think it's a profile booster. Profile booster. So even add to your profile, you're obviously look at the media world now. Everything is literally content based. That's it. That's seeing it. Seeing everything on content based, you can get closer to people. It wasn't like that before. Yeah. And now you can get closer to people literally just by watching them on TV. That's it. So you've got the likes of <coughs> James Khan. James Khan. You'll be able to get into the room of James Khan. James Khan. That is so true. One BBC door closes, one BBC door opens. Exactly. Literally. Exactly. Um, so we just got the job with James Khan. What they were doing is this is when we had the coalition government, so Lib Dem and Conservative coalition government. They set up um, an incentive which was for startup loans, mm -hmm. um, and they put James Khan ahead of the startup loans and put Yasmina in, in part of that company. Mm -hmm. um, for those, a quick breakdown, I won't go too deep in it. It's always going to be in the government's best interest to sell that arm of the business off eventually. They're not going to hold that forever because it needs to be sustainable, it needs to make its own money, it needs to be resilient. Yeah. So they sold that off, I think, after a year or two, and James Khan heads that up independently, and Yasmina heads that up independently as well. Um, so it just goes to show from what being an apprentice, that's one way of just getting a job. So they didn't get any investment. She didn't get any investment. She didn't have a business at the time, but just from having a job working for the apprentice, she's opened up her whole career. Um, from being a waitress to somebody who now earns a six-figure salary. Mm -hmm. Who did you find out about? What did you find out about? Well, I was actually looking at some other individuals. So Tim Campbell was definitely one of them that I was looking at. Now he's gone on to do a digital marketing agency. Is that what he does? Yeah. So you see Kim, Tim Campbell everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you do, you do, I you do. Is that the guy? Apprentice really gave him that profile, and you know he's a savvy businessman at the end of the day. Isn't he MB or something? Something along those lines. I know he definitely dabbles in that to some sort of degree. Yeah. But I know him predominantly for his digital marketing agency. Yeah. When I had the live Q and A the other day, actually, he was in there. Yeah. So, okay. So you, yeah. you actually spoke to him. Okay. Yeah, so bang he, was, he was in there. He was obviously watching it and stuff, and um, I believe. The Apprentice for him, especially when you talk about Tim Campbell, yeah. the first thing that comes to your mind. He's the winner of the winner. Apprentice for the first season. First winner. Very professional. Very professional. Very Articulate. Professional he knows his stuff. Calm temperament. But he's still got a character. Isn't he from East London? I think so. Your bits? I believe so. You're East London, isn't it? Yeah, I'm from East London. Shout out East London, man. <laughs> Shout out East London, man. They're doing it big on every scale. Still repping Bromtown, <laughs> though. You know how we do. But yeah, no, I definitely respect him. On the apprentice alumni coming back and then giving his in, sharing his and partake on the new people. All right, then. So I'm going to go from Tim to Mark Wright. So Mark Wright is 2014's winner. Season 10. Season 10. Yeah. Thank you, my bro. The difference with him is that he got the investment, isn't it? Yeah. So this is when the format changed and the investment's now £250,000 into your business. 
Um, he went in 2014 for a digital marketing agency again. Yeah, called Climb Online. Climb Online. So there's something, I can see a pattern here. Tim Campbell, digital marketing agency. Uh, Mark Wright, digital marketing agency. Successful, yeah? Exactly. Okay, cool. So this, this gives me some, some um, concepts of what this means. Since winning Apprentice, he's worked with Groupon, he's worked with Emirates, he's worked with Dickies, he's worked with My Voucher Code. So we're not talking about small scale digital content, we're talking about big level digital content on a commercial and corporate level. Um, last year, so 2021, Mark Wright turned over 5 million in that company. Um, I watched the, uh, it was like a Q&A session that he did um, in lockdown, and I asked him candidly about how Lord Sugar's involved. He said that in the first year when he got the finances from Lord Sugar, Lord Sugar's in the boardroom with him, they run phone calls, any time of the day, any time of the night. So there's a stand-up guy, he is what you see. When the company starts trading a profit now, because this is an eight-year-old company, Lord Sugar takes a back seat, but he's still available from WhatsApp. You can WhatsApp him whenever you want to. And I think that says a lot about somebody at the level that Lord Sugar's at. But I think we need to even take a step back. Go ahead. People don't understand how good it is to actually make five million as revenue oh, yeah. an organization. Most companies don't even make a hundred thousand. You know what? You might take a step back there because this is we're in this world right now where a billion feels like a million, yeah. and a million feels like a thousand. Yeah. It's really, 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 really not. The scales are so different between a five million pound company to a five hundred thousand pound company. Completely different. But what goes into it in terms of manpower? What goes into terms of planning and strategy? Everything that goes into it is a whole new scale. Even just saying a whole new scale doesn't give credit to what's going on. You're talking about operating at a level where you've been amateur or semi-pro for a week's first while. I call it a rookie. That's a rookie, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And then you're straight in the big leagues then. If you're yeah. a rookie, you're going straight to the straight big to leagues. Straight to the big leagues. And at the end of the day, it takes a different type of mentality. The systems and processes that need to be served within an organisation yeah. have to be on point. That's it. You need to make sure you have a power team. Yeah. And I think the difficulty lies in the fact that People think, oh, this person just made five million from a company. Yeah. That's not a lot of money. Yeah. For you to be able to maintain that. That's it. And to keep increasing on top of that. 100%. People think it's profitability of a company. And it's not. And it's not about just the profitability. The top line feeds into the bottom line. Be, I like the way you just did that. The top line feeds into the bottom line. Yeah. The bottom line. You get what he's doing. <laughs> smart kid, you know, smart kid. And that's exactly what it is. There's a big phrase that we follow in business, which is profit is vanity. And that's all it is. Profit is nothing. It's about your cash flow. It's about how your operating income is. It's about if you need something tomorrow or you need to move into a new area, how much liquid cash, how much money in the bank have you got to be able to move into that area aggressively? Moreover than that, just about moving into an area, you need to be able to invest. So in the background, money's coming in to top, fill up your top line, which goes down to your bottom line again. And this is what Lord Sugar's doing well. Yeah. Off camera before this, he, talked to me, he spoke to me a bit about how The Apprentice makes money. Yes, so the way that taking, you know what, I think we should go into the history of Alan Sugar prior to actually going go into it. it. What I want to do, just hold on for a second and get one of my guys. Can you just fix his microphone so it's a bit closer to him, please? Just bring it a bit closer to your mic. I don't want to miss anything. Thank you. Keep rolling with me. So, yeah, we're going to talk about just a bit about how The Apprentice came about in terms of, and Lord Sugar, because he's been operating for 30 years, maybe, 30 years in business, but we don't really know too much about what's been happening in the past 10, 15 so yeah, now you've got the mic, so take it, man. So you know what, he came from my parts, East London, Hackney. See, <laughs> you know East London, man, <laughs> Yeah, so he's one of the most celebrated moguls yeah. ever. He's a billionaire at the moment. Yeah. He left school at the age of 16. Mm. Now, he started the company when he was 21 years of age. And I believe he started the company, I think it was sometime 1968, when he actually started Amstrad. Okay. So he worked in three companies. I definitely know that. He accumulated savings from a post office job or something along those lines. Okay. So he started the company with £100. £100? £100. £100. Not £100,000. No, £100. If we adjust that to inflation today, 2022, so we're talking about 1968 yeah. to 2022, yeah. it's along the lines of £1,536.39. Big pause. So everyone at home is saying, yo, I can't do a business, I ain't got the money, I don't know where to start. Lord Sugar started with the equivalent of £1,500. Now, I'm not saying you got a £1,500 sitting at home disposable, but I am saying that is achievable. That can be done, 100%. yeah? And if you look at where Adam Sugar's took his trajectory to now, from £1,500, is it worth that risk? It 100% is, isn't it? Um, someone said to me the other day, just one of my friends, people are quick to do a 25 to life in terms of gang life or getting into criminals, but they won't do six years or <laughs> four years me. in university, 10 years in business. So Steve, what you said, 1,500 pounds, 
fast forward in 20, 30 years later, this guy's a billionaire. You don't know any billionaire. You don't know one. <laughs> Do you get what you're trying to say? And that's the difference. And to become a billionaire, especially, is insane. Yeah. Ridiculous. But he bought the van for 50 and he insured it for eight. Okay. So what he was originally doing, so he <clears throat> had electrical services. Yeah. That's what he was selling, so things like aerials. I think it was hi-fi, turnable covers at the time as well. Yeah. Car radios, those sort of things. Yeah. Um, selling them, selling them, selling them. And I think it got to a stage where he started making a lot of money. Yeah. Like ridiculous amounts of money. I think at one stage, I think it might have been two to four years after he actually started selling it. Really? The business turned into, I think the valuation of it was 1.2 billion. So fast forward to today then, because we know that Aerials ain't making nobody no more. We know people that said it is. So what, do you know any of the things that Amstrad or Alan Sugar's doing today? So today, I think he just predominantly obviously goes off of his property companies. Okay. So he invests into commercial units, high-end yeah. commercial units in okay. London. Okay. So when you're going to London and you're looking at all of these, you're probably looking at the top of the top spec. It's probably going to be... So all those cream of the crop yes, London commercials the crop. next to the waterfronts with the cream nice concierges the and the parking, all that, that's London Sugar, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Not all, but you, you guys get what I'm saying. Yeah. So that being said then, do you know what it's turned, like last year or two years, do you know what it's turned on for you, so what it's, what it's got going on money-wise? Yeah, so um, prior to that, obviously, he, we obviously know that he owned Tottenham Hotspurs. Yeah. He sold that for 47 million. Yeah. Um, he's got the property group, Amstrop, yeah. which is his property company that he has that. They specialise in commercial spaces, as I said. Yeah. And the net worth of the company is around 800 million. Yeah. Now, just last year, I looked at an article and Alan Sugar made over a million a day. Whoa. Every single day. A million a day? A million a day. <sighs> he literally made a million a day and he paid himself 390 million last year. <laughs> he is taking the piss. <laughs> He's dying. <laughs> Yo. So, <laughs> I've got one question because what everyone's going to ask. <laughs> So the Apprentice show, what happens with that money that obviously BBC is sponsoring or providing? Is there any, does he do any philanthropy? Yes, so um, I believe he actually invests that money into charities and you've got the, um, I think it's Great Ormond Hospital. Yeah, so yeah. the proceeds that he gets from the BBC, yeah. he just donates that straight over. Amazing. That's so what you want to hear. It's, it's not a profitable venture, so to speak. It's more, he actually goes into the show he gives people an opportunity, donates capital into that. He gets his profit from owning the companies after obviously he deals with that. Yeah. But a lot of the proceeds that come from The Apprentice, he gives over to charity. Makes sense. So it's like, to put it into a concept for you guys at home, so The Apprentice is like his PR piece, that's his marketing, that's his content. You know, like we, we follow, I don't know, Chunks and Philly, these types of people. You see the content they put out on YouTube, right? So The Apprentice is, is Lord Sugar's version of, you know, um, what's that dating show that Philly, Chunks and Philly do? The Foot oh, Asylum one. What's it called? You know what I'm on about. It's yeah, that yeah. version of that anyway, yeah? That's what The Apprentice is. It keeps his name ringing, it keeps his bells ringing, it keeps his name in, in the papers, yeah? But do you know why I respect him even more? And I'm so sorry to cut you. Nah, because cool. Donald Trump earned, I think it was $427 million yeah. from The Apprentice show. Yeah. And um, I think they it debuted in the US 2004 or something along those yeah. lines. And um, I think it was 197 million that he made directly from the show. Right. And from his licensing deal, he yeah. made the other amount, 200 and something million. See. So the fact that Lord Alan Sugar has gone to even donate the proceeds to yeah. charity goes to show the type of person that he is. So Lord Sugar for Prime Minister, is that what we were saying? Because <laughs> if, if, if Donald Trump can be president, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's what I'm saying. So I just want to bring it back for you guys at home. So um, a take with some takeaways as well. So um, Lil Sugar uses the show, a content piece, for him to draw attention to what he's doing. Um, for a business perspective, he's finding people he can angel invest in so he can be an investor for people's ideas and startup companies. That means that it diversifies his portfolio. To diversify his portfolio means he's got many different things that he can make money from, basically. That's a diverse portfolio. These are things that are big and small. Um, you know, we didn't speak about it, but he's got cosmetics agencies. Yep. He's got all these types of things. Yep. Um, so he's a, it's a double win. Not only is he keeping his name popping and he's got his business in the background, he's finding new places to make business from, make yeah. money from. So he's creating a generational wealth on top of what's happening. This isn't somebody who's got to 300 million and stopped. He's carried on keeping the carried ball rolling. Yep. This isn't somebody who's got to 45 years old and stopped. He's carried the ball rolling. Yep. And these are some good takeaways that I think people should take. Um, have you got any takeaways from The Apprentice? Yeah, I think from what I see, it's definitely a good opportunity to actually go into The Apprentice because it gives you, you know, business acumen that you never get outside. Yeah. 
um, you're dealing with a billionaire. You're mm-hmm. dealing with somebody that understands businesses with a fine comb. Yeah. And the fact that he's even gone on to do philanthropy and those sort of things goes to show that's the final stage of wealth creation. Yes. I think what people actually believe is, okay, I'm just going to build a business and I'm just going to live this life and I'm going to buy all these luxurious goods. The actual proceeds of what you actually make should really be going to charity. Yeah. And people can say, yeah, that's tax evasion. Or people can say you're doing it for tax purposes. But what's better? For you to put that money into charity or to for you to give that money to the government and then tell you that they're going to use the money for things like your roadworks and stuff and you see no improvements. So it goes down to that. Yeah, Business people yeah, for the win. And that's how it is. And yeah, that's the bottom yeah. line. See that? I concur 100%. <laughs> There's nothing you can add more than that. The, the media will tell you tax evasion, but there's something about being savvy and being strategic. 100%. I love what you said there. Interesting for me, I don't know about you, yeah, but I've not watched like these shows, like Apprentice or anything like that, on TV for years. I'm like, I'm a BBC iPlayer person. Okay. I just catch things when I can. Like, I don't know, this is how the world's going now. I haven't got time to watch things when they're programmed on TV. I'm, I think it comes on a Thursday or something. I'm working on Thursday, whatever. And it got me thinking about other online platforms that do streaming and content. Because BBC iPlayer has been going for ages. But obviously we've had like Netflix, Amazon, Amazon, Disney, everything come up in the past few years. And I thought to myself, well, what's going on with them? Like there's obviously a streaming war happening right now. There's obviously, I don't want to say war, you know what Co- I mean? Conflict. Been, yeah. It's been a conflict because there's a war going on in the world at the Yeah. So who's ahead of the race? How are they making themselves different? What is going on with Disney, Netflix, and Amazon? Well, I can say for starters, Netflix are definitely winning. Okay, talk to me. Regardless of what's ever going on, so there's obviously been a deep interest in TV streaming so yeah. far over the past year, we would say. So it's not a surprise that all content creators and everybody in that streaming world want to actually get involved in one piece of the cake. Yeah. So I was looking at some statistics. I think it was of 2020, and okay. I couldn't believe it. So if I actually go back into it. Go. So, um, I think 27% of people, yeah. like households, yeah. plan to cut their cable TV by the end of 2021. Right. Mm-hmm. 91% of households, US households I'm talking about, yeah. they subscribe to a streaming platform. 91%, so basically everybody. Yeah. Basically everybody who can basically afford to have a TV yeah. is, is subscribing. So. so in order to understand that context, I want to go back. You did a history of Apprentice. I've got a history of Netflix. It's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. So 1997 is when um, the Netflix organization started. The guy who set up was interested and inspired by Amazon selling books online. This is the irony. So Amazon's taking Netflix now, but he was inspired by Amazon, yeah? So in 1999, they started doing a subscription model. So he, they started the subscription model in 1999. It was with DVDs um, at the time, and that was their main revenue stream. Yeah. Um, it didn't really work out very well in terms of by 2000, when the dot-com era came in, they had to get rid of two thirds of their employees. So they cut two thirds of their employees straight away. If they don't know what that is, a 66.66% of employees. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> if you was at the table and you had four people on your table that worked that you got along with, three of them are gone. Straight, straight. <laughs> That's a simple way to put it. It's you and you got to find new friends now, yeah? Um, they carried on battling through up until 2007, and that's when they started streaming. So they weren't streaming up until this point. They're just doing DVD subscription. It's a subscription, but it's for DVDs, yeah? Blockbuster had the chance to buy them. You probably heard that story. Google it. It's interesting. They didn't buy them. So 2007, they started streaming. Um, and this is channel in- innovation. So you, when you talk about business, you talk about your, your channels of how you make money, how, of where you put your content. So they were first in the DVD um, subscription model, and now they're in channel innovation. So they're channel innovating in terms of doing an online streaming service. Um, the interesting thing about Netflix, why they bust through, is because you can stream on all devices from early. You could do PlayStation, phone, tablet, PC, TV from early. That's how they came through. A big thing about Netflix is that they're really into um, innovation. They really would think about how people are doing things. Moving on, they created um, what we now know to be called binge culture. So before you got, I think, we're in a room, we're old enough to remember, you used to watch things weekly, sometimes fortnightly, yeah? You just had to wait for what's gonna happen next, da da da. Netflix said, boom, series. Do what you want. Boom, boom, boom. Watch it today if you want. Yeah. Watch it half today, watch it half tomorrow. Yeah. Watch it in the morning, watch it at the night. Do what you wanna do. Netflix originated that idea. <laughs> it's, that's very noteworthy to say because they've created an attitude, a behavior, yeah? You weren't doing that before, before Netflix. Then, what happened is, is that they noticed there was kind of a battle between the content that they had, so that's like creating their own original content. 
Um, so you know, you see Netflix originals. That's them doing what we would call vertical integration. So I want to explain that. So you've got a company which is Netflix here, yeah? And they're showing you things. They're showing you TV programs. You've got a company that creates content here, yeah? And they're making content, but they're not showing it to you. They're not broadcasting it to you. Vertical integration is this. Netflix are buying this company and becoming one now. They're creating the content and showing it to you at the same time, yeah? So that, that's a big first for people. People weren't doing this. No one's streaming and creating original content and doing a subscription model and binging it. This and is like tick, 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 tick. And you know what I think that they skyrocketed? They capitalized on three things. It was the rise of di digitalization. Yeah. That's the main, number one thing. You have the availability of more content yep. across the board. And people haven't really got time to be watching traditional TV. They ain't got time. Like I said, that's why I only watch The Apprentice going back on BBC iPlayer because I haven't got time to watch it on Thursday at whatever time it's on. I don't know what time it's on. Mm -hmm. um, something I'll give you as a drawback from Netflix that people don't consider. So because Netflix creates content for silver screen, that's TV, you know, big screen, silver screen, TV, because they create content, even if it's a movie, even if it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger, Denzel Washington and Brad Pitt in it, that movie cannot be considered for Cannes, you know, Cannes International Film Festival, because Cannes is for film. It has to be for film. Mm -hmm. That means that a lot of their productions don't get the accolades and, and boost that a blockbuster movie would have because they haven't had the Cannes certificate yet. So, for instance, just recently we've seen Fresh Prince of Blair, yeah. the remake. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. went to Cannes first. Yeah. That got certified by Cannes and it got took on by Peacock for two seasons. Yeah. Things don't get taken on for two seasons unless they're certified. Does that make sense? Netflix haven't got things that are certified yet. They're always trying an idea. It's only certified by how they do their measurements, not an international body which has been in it for years. And that's kind of a drawback for them. Last thing I want to say is with Netflix, to get to where they are today, where they're a household name, they have spent a lot of money, a crazy amount of money. In one year, I think it was two years ago, they spent six billion pounds in that year, which was on content. They've six even, billion. They've even spent 17 billion. See. 17 billion and obviously you had the likes of on Amazon I believe they spent 11 billion on Lord of the Rings see if you said they was actually doing skipping the gun. let's talk about Amazon <laughs> let's talk about Amazon that's a good fact though <laughs> so what did you find out about Amazon's history or what do you think is different about do Amazon do you know what Amazon have a spin on it Amazon are not really predominantly this is just my personal belief but then obviously you can object go for it believe it go for it Amazon are not really looking to delve into the streaming world to take over the streaming world they're bringing people from the streaming world so they can buy their products. Hence why you've got Amazon Prime. So what they're doing is, you know, you've got free shipping. Yeah. You've got shipping on the same day. Yeah. You have the two-day delivery. Mm -hmm. You've got a music that they actually put through. Yeah. So what they're doing is this. I think the statistic was about, they've almost reached 200 million, somewhere in the regions of 178 million subscribers. Yeah. Now they cannot configure when, whether people go in it for one minute because they've accidentally clicked on those videos, whether they actually watch them. But one thing that they do know is that there's crazy buyers when it comes to Amazon. Yeah. So Amazon are using it as like a funnel. That's right. To bring people in, to go onto it, to say, look, we're going to offer you all of these things. Yeah. This is what we're going to push out to you. You have access to this, you have access to this, you have access to that. Yeah. We're going to give you discounts, blah, blah, blah. That's it. And then they're going to bring you in to buy from them. And that's our thing. That's what Amazon's approach is. I love what you're doing because you made it so easy for me. So Bezos, big boy Bezos, billionaire Bezos, yeah? Big Billy Bezos. His whole thing <laughs> is about innovation and customer experience from the start. It's been about how can I innovate the customer experience? These sound like just, you know, buzzwords. So what does that mean? He wants to creatively find new ways for you to interact and engage with what he's offering. From the start, he started Amazon by selling books online. So he used to go to a library before. He wants to change that customer experience. You get it? He wants to say, let's make this online. Let's make it easy for you to get access to, and so on and so forth. Bezos says that he doesn't see business as a zero-sum industry. What that means is it's not all or nothing. It's not one person wins and one person loses. It means everybody can win. So he see, he, Bezos says that industries win, not products. Industries win. So he sees it as the streaming's working, that industry's winning. We're going to win in that industry. He's not scared of going into new, new areas. You can see he's doing some books. He tells bridalware on Amazon, you know. Just he tells bridalware. Just go does that Amazon um, supermarket. Yeah. The contact and, and, and they've actually got some that actually, I in think they're opening in London. They ain't got one in Brom, yeah. Come bring one to Brom, man. Why does everyone forget about Brom, man? 
Bring, bring it Amazon Eventually. thing to Brom, man. I mean, you might get, you know, shoplifted, but <laughs> bring it to Brom, please, bro, man. You can't even get shoplifted as well. The way that he's organised them is ridiculous. I love it. So, uh, going to Peter Fingy, in 2019, you wouldn't know this, Amazon actually had the largest library. Amazon Prime had the largest library in 2019, more than Netflix, more than anybody else. That's one of those stats that's like this, because Netflix could have been producing content in that year, ready for 2020. So, it's, it's just one of those stats. Um... What makes Amazon different is that they have live sports and live events as well. Yes. So on Netflix, you never see that. You Can't never see. see a live event ever. Um, if, to put it into perspective, NFL on Thursdays, that shows off Amazon Prime. So if you're in America, you can watch NFL every Thursday. Um, the Kanye Drake concert, which was about three, four months ago, that was on Amazon Prime only. That wasn't on Netflix. It wasn't on anywhere else. They, they tap into that market. And they also own, pre so when we talk about this, um, this is horizontal integration. They own other... Um, premium channels like stars, you know, where power comes from. Yes. Um, so that's not vertical integration because that's not content and thingy. This is horizontal integration because stars is a network, right? Amazon Prime is a network and they're absorbed, they yeah? You get that. Um, another thing that Amazon does that's different is that they do watch parties. So we can watch a show with up to 100 people at a time, 100 people with a chat. So we can watch this Kanye and Drake concert, Kamai being in London, me being in Birmingham so on and so forth, and I have an online chat, which is quite cool. That's the digital era we're going to. Um, so there's a few things that separate them. Now, as we all know, because we all do Netflix, isn't it? We all do Netflix, isn't it? Let's be honest. Netflix, isn't it? Netflix. I'm, I'm getting bored of it now. But Everyone, and the only I'm telling you, Kanye revived it, but we're going to go into that. We're going to go into that as well. <laughs> um, the reason why Netflix has slapped is not just because of original content, but because of Game of Thrones. I've not watched Game of Thrones personally. I've not watched it. I I know it's got a massive cult following, blah, blah, blah. It's got a massive cult following. But that's what we're learning from this research is that these big shows that go on these channels have a massive um, role in carrying on the subscription model. So Game of Thrones kept Netflix running. House of Cards. um, There's another one that you guys watch, uh, the Spanish one with the mass. What's it? It's like a robbery. Money heist. Money heist. These things, um, Squid Games. These things keep the description by the running. So Amazon Prime says, hmm, I'm not happy about this. So like you said, and this is why I said just keep the going, they spend, they're currently spending £465 million on developing a Lord of the Rings TV series. Mm-hmm. They're seeing it as the biggest clash and competition they can do for Game of Thrones. Now, I'm sorry, I ain't watched Lord of the Rings either, you know. I'm, I'm not into these things, but I know we got people. I'm a Harry Potter dude, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm like that. I like Harry Potter over Lord of the Rings. If people have watched Lord of the Rings, uh, I think I'm street. I don't buy it. Lord, Lord, Lord of the Rings is my thing. That's yeah, my man. Thing. Big up Dumbledore. Big up Snape. <laughs> big up Potter. These are my guys, yeah? I don't know about Hobbits. Nah. Gollum and them, man. That's it. It just sounds whack. <laughs> you get me? So... The Water Clash, Game of the Thrones, the Lord of the Rings franchise, £465 million they're spending. I think that's a good proposition. I don't know much against, like I said, I'm not the guy to ask. But it, it, it could be going up to a billion. So See? £465 million to a billion. But clearly they're doing it for the reasons that you've already stipulated. They need to put themselves in that position if they want to get to that level. Watched, how else are you going to do it? I haven't watched a series on Amazon Prime yet. I haven't watched one. Like, you know, just like a whole series, like three or four... I haven't watched one. Do you know what it reminds me of, kind of? I've watched The Boys, and that was like two seasons. But that's nothing compared to watching seven seasons of Breaking Bad. But Amazon are, are clocking it. I think they're, they're realising that everybody's obviously starting to watch docu-series or some sort of seasons. Um, it's very similar to the concept, and I'm going to use this one. Amazon, I'm sorry, not Amazon. Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, go on. Now, Instagram have seen that TikTok right now are booming off. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. They've created reels now. Yeah, Instagram have created reels because of TikTok short form content. Yeah. So reels are about what thirty seconds to about a minute. Yeah. Something along those lines. Minute, yeah. Now, have you seen the algorithms and how much views you can get off of reels in comparison to every other video? Yeah. So they've seen that now, and they've seen that. And they're pushing it. And they're pushing it. And that's like these. And guys. that's like these lot. It cup, um, sharing best practice. Exactly. That's what we say. Sharing best practice. The best practice of having a series to hook people in and keep them. Amazon's copied it. Another interesting thing that Amazon's doing right now at done, and this could be a game changer, you know, depends on who you are. They've acquired MGM Studios. Yes. So yes. this is vertical integration. They've acquired MGM Studios. If you don't know what MGM Studios do, 
James Bond is Straight the best up. thing I can say to you. Mm. One of the biggest franchises in the world. <sighs> one of the most spent, one of the most celebrated, one of the most revered movies that are in action territory. If you don't know James Bond, you're too young. Yeah, bro. <laughs> now, the bats are, and it's good, it's funny you said that, because uh. what they're trying to do is not only have James Bond movies streaming, but also create an original series based off James Bond. Yes. Now, a series based off James Bond can go off. Because we're talking high action, girls, locations, gadgets, cars. James Bond's everything. He's everything. So a series of James Bond, that could attract a few people. It's going to attract a lot of people. And at the end of the day, they need to make sure that they pick these pockets. In pick the pockets. To put themselves ahead of it also, competitor. It also means that this whole conversation we're having about who's the next Bond, it gives them a chance to think, figure out who the new movie Bond is yep. while they have a series Bond. Um, you know what it's like, the series version of your favourite movie hasn't got the quite same edge, but it gets away with it. It hasn't got to be a big boy brand yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, it can yeah, just yeah. be a good brand name. Yeah, yeah, so it gives them that vitality. But is Amazon Prime, like you said, is it just a bonus to having free delivery? Do you care about Prime TV or do you care more about your same next day delivery? I mean, this is, this is what I think it is. Um, the streaming services... If they really wanted to, they have the budget. Amazon are ridiculously rich. They have so much money and access to capital is insane. If they really wanted to, they could say, you know what, I'm gonna throw 20 billion into this. Yeah. And we're gonna do that. But that's not their main focus. Nah. And I feel like, you know, with Amazon Prime, the other things that come into it, I think that's what they're really trying to push. So with the streaming services, could Amazon catch up to the rest? Yes, they could, if they wanted to. But do they care? But do they care? Good that's question. The question. Whilst we're on that question, we need to bring in the baby, the new one, Disney Plus. Mm. That's the baby in this, isn't it? So we, if you anything like me, um, I remember when lockdown hit, the only thing I was looking forward to was the fact that Disney Plus was launching. It was a complete lockdown pandemic, and I said Disney Plus is launching in, I don't know, April or May or something. I don't care. I don't get Big man, Toy Story, <laughs> Lion King, which is Hamlet. Lion King, Toy Story, um, Wreck-It Ralph, um, Marvel. Come on, man. Like, I don't care what you say. Disney Plus is, is winning. They're winning. Um, so that's what we're talking about. You know what launched Disney Plus, but made it massive, um, was the Star Wars Mandalorian series. So it's these series, these series. They keep coming back up. That's what, launched, that's what launches things. I want to put into some perspective for you. They launched with 10 million subscribers at launch. Yes. Launched with 10 million subscribers. Launched with 10 million. We're about to launch this, park, this podcast to show you. Yeah. If you give us 10 million subscribers in the first month, my geez, yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm to say? Big up to everybody if that does that. But um, <laughs> obviously Disney's got a lot of pre-orders, of course, because it's Disney. But to launch at 10 million, and to give perspective, in the first year, that 10 million went to 100 million subscribers in the first year. This is rapid growth. This is growth on a scale that's like no other. And you know what I love about that as well, and it actually interlinks with that as well. Netflix yeah. reported their lowest figures See. in the first quarter. See. Because See. of them, they could lose 750,000 subscribers in the UK to Disney because Disney are literally just kicking them out of the park and saying, we're going to bring everything over to us. And this is how we're going to do it. So you see Disney, yeah. These are the big boys for a reason. I'm going to talk to you about Disney for a second, yeah. So, so interesting. I don't know if you know this yourself. I found out. Disney Plus started from the MLB, the baseball league in America. No, I don't even know. Okay, so MLB, they set up a streaming service themselves to stream their, their baseball games. <clears throat> it was called Bamtech. Disney got a 25% share in Bamtech. <laughs> and progressively, they started to buy a bit more, more, more until they bought all of Bamtech. So it started from um, the MLB. <laughs> Then, <laughs> then, just to be even more cheeky, there's a guy called Michael Paul. He was the head of Bamtech. When he left Bamtech, he went to Amazon. When Disney bought the whole of Bamtech, where did he go? Disney Plus. So this guy is just streaming done. He's been at Bam Bamtech at the start when he's by baseball. Amazon and Amazon launched, and now he's at Disney. He knows how to do this, yeah? So they've hired the biggest gun they can get. The interesting thing about it in the background is that before they even got to Disney Plus, but you see today, they've also brought a share in Hulu. You know, Hulu, that yeah, streaming course, thing. Yeah, yeah. That's not really big in the UK. I don't, no, I don't so feel like it's it not, is. It's not. But I know the show like Kardashians and stuff like that, and people care about that stuff. So I'll talk to you a bit about um, Hulu. Don't know the exact percentages, so just hear me out, yeah? 
So they're Disney owned, there's small minority share in Hulu, along with AT&T, which is, provides their cable TV over there, that's, that's like Sky Plus, mm-hmm. and their internet. Um, and Fox and another company, that's who owned Hulu at the time. Again, next thing that Disney do is Disney buy out Fox. So now they've got a bigger share in Hulu as well, and they own Fox. So they've got all of Fox's content, that like Simpsons, Futurama, these types of things. And they've got the share in Hulu, so they double double down, yeah? Mm-hmm. AT&T is struggling because um, they're just not making the money they want from it. So they buy out AT&T as well. So now they're the biggest shareholder in Hulu. So what do they do? Buy the rest of Hulu. So in the background, before they even launched Disney Plus, they've got Hulu and all its subscribers, which means on that timeline now, so imagine this is happening here, when the timeline of Disney Plus starts, when they're launching with, the hunt with 10 million subscribers, some of them are Hulus, obviously. It's an easy transition from Hulu. Do you know what they focused on? Acquisitions of companies. Acquisitions. And that's what it is. They focus on acquisitions of companies and they knew this. Okay, we've got the streaming game or we can have the streaming game on lock. Yeah. I saw a report the other day. Do you know Disney are going to supersede Netflix in 2026? By 2026, they will have way more subscribers of course. than Netflix. And why do they do it? It's because they thought to themselves, you know what? The streaming, we understand that Netflix have very, very, very good streaming mm-hmm. accessibilities. You know, you've got the 4K, you've got the premium plan, yeah. which gives you a range, a variety of things that you can actually watch on that. So they said, you know what, let's take a step back. That's it. Let's acquire the companies first. And this, this is what you do when you're a big player in the game. This is the only way Disney should be operating. They shouldn't be trying to create new things and new this and new that. They should be acquiring by acquiring Fox, yeah, they allowed themselves to directly compete against Netflix from day, day one, one just with content, mm-hmm. let alone the Disney portfolio of all the movies and Pixar and Marvel and Star Wars and Discovery Channel. These are massive things we're talking yeah, about. 100%. Then they also have Fox and Hulu. Like they're playing as big players in the game. They didn't come to play around at all. The funny thing about all of this is we had to just deep it for a second. This is the first time that Disney's been DTC, direct to consumer, yeah. ever. So let me just break that down, what I mean. Till this day previously, to watch a Disney movie, you've gone to a cinema, or you've got a DVD, or a VHS if you're old enough, yeah? You might catch a Christmas movie every so often on Sky Bart's office, or there's a Disney channel. Um, but you've never been, it's never been direct. You've never had a relationship with Disney, have you? You've had a relationship with Sky, with your local cinema, whoever's sending you the DVD, Blockbuster, whatever it is, but you never had a relationship with Disney, right? This is the first time Disney's got a relationship with you directly. When I say relationship, they know what you like, what you're watching, how much you watch every of. When you finish watching that, what do you go to next? They can start to put a profile of you. So if you're somebody who watches Lion King, but then really loves the fact that it's in the African uh, rainforest or desert, wherever it is, and then you go to Discovery Channel and watch something about lions in the real world, they can start bringing connections about who you are as a person, which means when they're creating new content and marketing things, they know who you are. They haven't done this before. They've literally been sending to you all these years without really knowing who you are. Capture information about you. Just, just, that just by going direct to consumer. Direct to consumer. So now they're in a very strong position. They know what the consumer's like. They know where they are. They know how to get to them. And they can do it fast. This is interesting because when we look back at an old, old interview from Walt Disney himself, I think it was like, I ain't got the date, early 19, something. let's say 1920. Sounds good, doesn't it? Go Google <laughs> it. Walt Disney had an interview and they said to him, um, he was talking about TV. So in the 1920s, whenever TV was like mainstream. And he was saying, um, they said, what do you think about Disney um, in TV? And he said he likes it because for that year, for the first time ever, they, they put a compilation together of um, Disney things for a Christmas special. Because this is the first time that he's had feedback quickly on a project that he's done. He says, when you make a movie, you spend years developing it, but you don't know what people think until it goes out to the critics. He said, with silver screen, I like how fast the feedback is. So Disney Plus is their first attempt since Walt Disney saying that to get back in front of the consumer to find out exactly what's going on. You can like this program, you can unlike this program, you can make a list, you can make a play, all of these things. Because imagine putting yourself in a position and it was like how music videos used to be back in the day. Um, I think it was um, so solid. Yeah. Their budget for their music video was absolutely ridiculous. I forgot how much it was. It was, it was six figures or somewhere coming up to a million. Yeah. And you airing that on TV, not even knowing what the reaction's going to be. You don't know what's going to happen. And you're putting your bets onto that. If you're getting it fast, quick, and it's efficient as well, and you know you're going to be getting feedback, the tweaks that you can make 
straight away 100%. is going to put you in a better position. Before, Disney would have... To make a series like, I don't know, what the people watch, um, to make a series like the Marvel series, yeah, it would have to do all that, spend big money on it, with no feedback, and do season one and season two, just off pure whim. Now, before season two comes out, they can tweak everything. They can see what you've written on Twitter about it. They can see what you've written online about it. Yeah. They can see they can see everything. So they can make sure season two is perfect. It's the best thing since sliced bread every single time. It's a big it's a big power to have. I think um, one thing Disney really understands is one their size in terms of how we need to move. You know, if you're a big guy, you don't go through small doors, and that's what Disney's saying. We're the, we're the big boys. She was big doors. She was big windows. She was big seats. She was big money. And I think the second thing they're saying is that. Um, they value the connection between them and you. They understand that connection. Um, one thing, that, I want to be fair, people criticise Disney because it is young. When I say young, they don't have any R-rated kind of content, what they call it in America, like super explicit content. Disney won't get into that. They won't do that. It's, it's part of their, um, their, their proposition. Um, yeah, but I don't think there's any drawback to that. You know, grown people like us will still watch it. Yeah. You've got Our kids will watch it. You, People that are coming up are going to continue to keep watching it. I think so. And yes, obviously, you have explicit content. So you're going to have the 18 rated and things like that. But Disney are staying in their own lane and they know what they're actually distributing out to the minds of the people. They That's know it. what they're putting out there. And we're still going to continue to watch it. And who's to say that they might not branch off and actually go and put other things? This is the thing. It's like they're kind of allowing themselves. So I don't know if you've watched Simpsons recently on Disney Plus since it's been acquired. There's lots of inside jokes on Simpsons about the fact they can't swear now because they're on Disney. They say it in the show, like, but like Homer would say it. So they're finding ways, you know, break that kind of restriction in an adult kind of way. And that opens the door to new things, like you're saying. Um, quick thing I want to bring into everyone's mind is the fact that you see all these shows we used to watch where Disney was, they were licensing them out so you could watch stuff on Netflix, like a Disney movie, a Marvel movie. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, obviously, before they were licensing the content out for 150 million a year, yep. so that's what the revenue they're getting 150 mil to yep. put. I don't know um, the old Spider-Man on Netflix, yep. whatever you care about. I was looking into this today. Yeah. Yeah. So now they've took that all back. Um, some contracts are still outstanding, so you will still, as I'm saying this, you will still see some Disney things on other platforms because yep. they've got a contract in place. But um, now they brought it all home. And it's just making their value proposition so much stronger because now you're saying there's only one place you can watch this stuff from. Um, takeaways. I'm going to get some takeaways from these three things. So I'm going to start with one takeaway. And you kind of touched on it earlier. Although Netflix are the big boys and we all talk about Netflix in a household name, Netflix only relies on its income streams being from streaming. There's no advertising. There's no advert on Netflix. There's no products. There's no hardware. There's nothing there. When we look at Amazon now, Amazon are using it as a side hustle, like you said. It's a side hustle. That's what it is. They've got all these products they're selling out, all these services they're selling out. On top of this, they've got the TV thing, which means financially they're in a very strong position. It's, it's literally a side hustle for them. Um, even to the point of hardware, they can sell you the Amazon Fire Stick to watch the TV. So they can make an extra 15, 20, 30 pound per head on top of their subscription model just for you to watch this TV. £55, my producer just said in the background, £55 for a fire stick, hardware, kidding it. <laughs> Let's not even talk about all the things Disney's selling you. Disney's selling you loads. D Disney ha have been selling things. Been selling you from the start. <laughs> so when you look at Amazon and Disney, although it feels like, you know, they're coming up and they're the little guys, think about the organisation. These are massive organisations. They've got money on money on money on money. This subscription money is just new money for them. It's just new money for them. It's not even a problem. Netflix have to rely on you like paying subscription to keep their business running. That's vulnerable. And one thing I will say before you say your point is, how long can Netflix do that for? How many times are they going to crank up the price before it's too much for a consumer? If they release hardware, what would that hardware be? Mm. Mm. And these are the questions that are in Netflix offices right now. How are we going to get to the next level? My problem with Netflix is there's too much geo-blocking going on. Go on. So for Great those point. that don't know what that is, Great point. you literally have technology that blocks off an internet connection so you can only get the geographics in the area that you're actually operating from. So America, for example, and UK will have different things out, completely different things Great. coming out. That's a limitation. Massive limitation. Massive. Now, Disney 
don't give a damn about that. Don't have nah. to care about that. Amazon, me. they would just say, you know what? <laughs> Let's go and put ourselves in a position to just put more money into it so we don't have to go through that. Everybody's going to have accessibility to watch the same things. So whether you're in, I don't know, Spain, Portugal, yeah, yeah, yeah. America, the UK, everybody can watch the same things. Great as place. soon as they do that for Amazon, kick you out the door on Netflix. Well, and with Disney... As soon as they continue to keep doing the things that they're doing and start incorporating more things, going to kick them out. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next 10 years, Netflix is a company of the past. I agree. Honestly, I'm, I'm happy that you said it, you know. I didn't want to be that guy. I'm going to say it. I don't think Netflix is here forever. Unless they can think of something very sharp, very fast. I don't know why, Graham. Uh, another takeaway I want to bring in is what Bezos said, and I think it's a very prominent thing about things not being zero-sum. So I'm going to go back into that again. The space for everybody to eat. We say this every day and it's space for everyone to eat. La, la, la. We see memes. Let's just contextualize it. Amazon, Netflix, and Disney, and not to mention the other ones, are all billion dollar or multi-million dollar companies. Everyone's making money. The industry wins. The industry wins. Mm. If you're at home and you've got an idea for a food business or an idea for a, a clothing business or an idea for whatever, don't be deterred because other people are doing it. Think about is that industry winning? Does that industry have enough scope for you to make money? If it's got enough scope for you to make money, go for it. I do food. Food is one of the biggest, most condensed. There's a chip shop, there's a Chinese shop, there's in everything that's to each other. I don't suffer, I don't live in poverty because the industry wins. Does that make sense? And I'm so happy you said that because somebody said something the other day and I literally said to them, this is my last takeaway. They go, people don't have creativity because they're taking ideas from somebody else. Yeah. And I said, in order for society to function, you need to take an idea from somebody else. The phone that you've got, you've got an iPhone, yeah. I've got an Android. Yeah. It's the same bloody use. Yeah. Buildings, of infrastructure, they built the same type of way. Yeah. You've got certain organizations like, you tell me the difference between a company like, I don't know, um, McDonald's and KFC. Exactly. The food's different, yeah. but the operations are very similar and everybody's eating. Apple and Samsung were working, working together supplying the um, screens and stuff like that. They were working together. Everybody's eating. And it's industries that win, not products. Well, bam. So, and, that's, and that's the bottom line? That's the bottom line. I've got to say, that is the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. More and more of the same. We're going to be breaking down things that you see day to day and your day to day life. Big brands, big deals, big announcements. Let's bring it to a level where you can understand what's going on. I feel like a lot of these... Um, publications that deal with business and finance, they put it in a way that's not like accessible. It makes you feel kind of stupid if you don't understand <laughs> yeah, if you it. Don't know, you know what You're not about. supposed to feel stupid understanding yeah. business. Business is one of the most logical things yeah, going. 100%. We want to make it easy for you to understand that. Like I said, I've been Kieran Frantic. Come on, bros. Look out for the next episode. You need to like, you need to subscribe, you need to follow us, you need to share. And you know what? Spin the whole video back and watch it again because I know some stuff went over your head. Straight gems. Until next time. Oh,